Well, I feel like every time I stand up here to preach, I have some sort of fun confession, and it won't stop today. I have another one. And uh, if you know me, you know that I'm a humongous Star Wars fan. I am like a super nerd of Star Wars, right? Um, And you've probably heard me at some point, if you've had a conversation, I've referenced Star Wars um, at some point. I have an enjoyment of just about everything that has to do with Star Wars. Um, In fact, before I began seminary, a couple years ago, I had this goal of reading every Star Wars novel that's ever been written, which was a completely futile task because I would finish one novel and then they would release three more. It was like you're just a dog chasing after its tail and I don't have time for it anymore. So being a Star Wars fan, of course, uh, you know, I was very excited for The Force Awakens, that new movie that came out uh, to come out. I was very, very excited about that. And uh, have any of you had the opportunity to see the movie, The Force Awakens? Okay, maybe, yeah, two-thirds. Okay. Well, I actually went and saw the movie on opening night. And uh, I went with uh, some good friends, a friend of mine who you actually might know. I have a picture, actually, from that night. We went. Um, I'd like to show that. There it is right there, yeah. It's a good friend. We had a good time that night. Uh, of course, I love the movie. I've seen it a few more times since then. And if you're not familiar with Star Wars, let me just give you like a quick flyover. Just not a lot of time on this. but uh, So it's a saga that really focuses in particular on one family, the Skywalker family, and their interaction with the Force, either for good or for evil. And the Force, according to Wikipedia, <laughs> see what I did there? It's real. It's actually a, it's, it's a real site. Um, The Force is an energy field that connects all living things in the galaxy. Uh, The power of the Force could be used by individuals who are sensitive to it. So, if you haven't seen The Force Awakens, this is going to be a little bit of a mild spoiler. Um, So I'm only going to talk about the ending of the movie. I hope that's okay, if you haven't seen it. Um, But no, anyway, so towards the end of the movie, there's this showdown between Rey, who is Force-sensitive, and Kylo Ren, her counterpart, and they're in this... Uh, lightsaber battle, battle, and Kylo Ren has really taken it to her and raised on the defensive. But there comes a point in the lightsaber battle, in this, in this, towards the end, where everything stops and the camera focuses on Rey. And you kind of see her take a moment and collect herself. She closes her eyes and she begins to remember this force that she is in union with, that she has. And she gathers herself and she relies on the power of the Force for the rest of the duel. And that's when everything changes. The entire battle changes and she goes on the offensive. I won't tell you any more of the story. But it was not until she remembered that this union with the Force that she had that she was able to go on the offensive. And so this morning, what I want to talk about today is something I believe to be one of the greatest resources to Christians, but that's often one of the most underutilized and untapped Things, and that is our union with Christ. Sinclair Ferguson said that our union with Christ is the whole of the Christian life. And so this morning, what I hope I'm able to accomplish this morning as we talk about this union with Christ is to remind those who are in Christ of the many blessings that are ours in Him. And for the person who's here this morning who has not yet come to faith in Jesus, I hope I'm able to show the wonders of the Christian life that you're missing. And I'm hopeful this morning that the Holy Spirit would use the Word of God this morning to penetrate 
the heart of stone, and transform it to one that's fully surrendered to him in union with Christ. So to begin, first we want to ask the question, what is union with Christ? This might be the first time you've ever heard of this. Might, you may have heard things before but, uh, that, that are part of that, but you may not have heard that term, union with Christ. So theologian John Frame said that union with Christ is in Scripture the most general way of characterizing Jesus' work of salvation. Jesus saves us by uniting us to himself. And this essentially is a work of God uniting us to him in a saving relationship. So it begins with salvation. We become united with Christ when we become born again. And so we're going to be covering a lot of Scripture this morning, lots and lots. Um, Apostle, the Apostle Paul, in his letters, used the phrase in Christ 160 times. So that was, it's, it was pretty important to Paul, and it should be a big deal to us. It's pretty important to us as well. So first of all, with union with Christ, our union is something that God has included in his eternal plan for his people. This is something that he has authored since before time began. Since the beginning of time, he has had this in his plan. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-4 to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So here we see that he, the Father, chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world. Did you know that? We were chosen by God before time began. Not in a general sense, yes, in a general sense, but even more so in a specific sense. That you, if you're in Christ, you were chosen to be, you personally, were chosen to be that way in Him since before this world was created. That is an amazing reality. And if you're in Christ, it's because the Lord of the universe has chosen you from eternity past to be His beloved child. You know, there have been an estimated 108 billion people to have ever walked this planet, according to Google. And to think that God looked forward in time, knowing that we would exist, and thought of us being in special relationship with Him, that is a tremendous reality. That is a tremendous truth. That God thought of us and it should cause us to worship Him with great humility and thankfulness. That the anchor of our union with Christ is our eternal election in Him by the Father. The Father desires to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the first step in His bestowal of these blessings is His choosing us in Christ. He chose you. He chose you in Christ. So secondly, when we're asking the question, what is union with Christ? It's also simultaneously a coming together. Christ coming together with us and our coming together with Christ. It's a two-way joining. It's coming together fully and completely, becoming one. And I'll explain what I mean. Beginning with Christ coming together with us. At the basic level, the main way that Christ comes together with us is through His incarnation. His stepping out of eternity being born into the world and taking on our humanity, clothing himself in our humanity. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 to 18 say, Therefore, 
He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And another passage which we actually sang this morning in the first song from 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus enjoins himself to us by his taking on our humanity and being exposed to every temptation that we face so that, we, so that he might be a propitiation or an appeasement of the law of God for our sin. And so he becomes like us in every possible way. Yet he remains sinless. However, When Jesus goes to the cross as our sacrifice, God places all of our sin on him so that they might be paid in full. The famous passage we we just read a few weeks ago on Good Friday from Isaiah 53 says, The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Christ unites himself to us by taking on our humanity, our sin, and he bears the punishment for that sin. That was due to us. So now looking in the other direction, let's look at how we come together with Christ. Let's remember that, first of all, this has nothing to do with us at all. We we bring nothing to this deal. This is all God. This is by the sheer grace of God that we are able to be joined to him. We bring nothing. We have nothing good in us to come together with Christ on our own power. This is all him. It's all work of the grace of God. So one way we are united with Christ is through his death. For those who are in Christ have been crucified with Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, God thought of us having died. Our old self was crucified with him. Romans 6, 5-6 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Another famous passage, Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we see that we are united with Christ in his death. Another way that we're united with Christ, as the Romans passage mentioned, is that we're united with him in his burial and his resurrection. So Colossians 2.12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So here, Paul's reference to baptism and faith indicate that our dying and rising with Christ occur in this present life, at the time we become Christians. That the former attractions and the influence of sin that once held us, that had power over us, have been released in Christ, when we come to Him in faith and we're united with Him. Those things pass away. And in our being raised to new life, the Holy Spirit brings about a change in our character and our lives that give us new passions and desires. He gives us new hearts and He transforms us into people that seek to please Him. Another way of being united to Christ is in his ascension into heaven. Ephesians 2 talks about this. 
verse, starting in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So those who are in Christ have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And that means that there's an eternal hope for us. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there's an eternal hope. And we will ascend to where our Savior is. So this is the really amazing reality of, about our union with Christ. That whatever Christ did as our representative, God counts it as something that's credited to us. What Christ did for us is credited to us, and we do nothing. This is like a glorious exchange, a glorious truth for us to remember that we bring absolutely nothing to the table. We bring nothing to the table. Yet we're credited with everything Christ has done. Another thing we're credited with is Christ's righteousness. We now stand in Christ before God and we who are in Christ stand before Him holy and blameless. He now sees us as He sees His own Son. Again in Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, speaking of Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Do you see this exchange that takes place in our union with Christ? He obtains our rags of disobedience and we get the riches of His righteousness. This is the very purpose of our union with Christ, that we might be holy and blameless before God. This is a crazy deal. Like, you would, you would take this deal in a heartbeat, right? This is an amazing reality, an amazing deal. We bring nothing to the table, and He brings everything. So good, so good. So, now that we've seen what union with Christ is, and that it was God's plan for His people in eternity. He chose us before time began. And that's also the mutual coming together of us into Christ and Christ into us. We want to see now, what does that mean for us? What is it, what is, how does this play out into our lives? So, what we're going to do now is we're going to go over several of the benefits of union with Christ, as if those weren't already benefits. There are more, and there are more than I will be able to cover here today. There are 10,000 reasons for our hearts to find a cause to bless the Lord. But we're going we're gonna to we're gonna remember some of the benefits. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all His benefits. So we're not going to be able to cover all of them, but we're going to cover some. And I think some of the most important truths, the benefits of being unified with the Savior. So firstly, those who are in Christ have been given a new life. You have a new life if you're in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And with this new life, we now have a new identity. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves to sin. The old is gone and the new has come. It is the old has passed away forever, never to return. We have been given a new life. We've been given a new identity, one that's rooted in Christ. And we identify with Jesus in our new life. And this new life only comes 
through salvation in Christ. Another benefit, secondly, is that we are adopted into the family of God. Referring back to Ephesians 1, the passage we covered earlier about being chosen in God, chosen by God in eternity, the very next verse in verse 5 says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So the Father has loved us and He's pulled us into His family. He's given us His name. He's given us a home in Him. He's given us every blessing and benefit that comes with being a part of His family. And before we'd come into Christ, we were strangers and aliens far off from Him because of our sin. Having no likeness with our Father. And in an instant, He makes us His. He calls us by name and we are given a glorious inheritance as an heir with Christ. We're given a glorious inheritance. We belong to the family of God. He is our Father now. He's our Father. And we cry out, Abba, Father. Another benefit that we enjoy being united with Christ is a spiritual family now to which we belong. So, this is talking about His church. This group of people that gather here together, the people of God, His, his temple where He resides, the people of God coming together. We belong to this family. We're a spiritual family. We have countless brothers and sisters that we have been made family with as we look together to God as our Father. So we are, who are in Christ are brothers and sisters. We are family according to God's Word. We're a family. And we belong to the family of God. Another benefit, we are joined to Christ with an inseparable love that we can never be dislodged from God's love because of our union with Christ. Romans chapter 8, famous passage, 38 to 39 says, For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so though... May, Though you have, may have been betrayed in this life by people who said they would love you, maybe it's a spouse or a parent or a friend, whoever it might be, we can rest assured that the love of God will never, ever depart from us. It's a promise in His Word. He, his love will remain. It will never give up. It will rest on you for the rest of your life and into your next life. I mean, it's an amazing reality. We don't deserve this. God is so good and kind to love us that way. And it's in Christ Jesus. Another thing which is something we all seek is that we have a peace with God that is beyond comprehension. Those in Christ have a peace that's beyond comprehension. Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have peace in your life? Yeah. Those in Christ say yes. Right? Though there might be things that come, we have a, a, a peace that is rooted in the reality that Christ is in us. And we know that we have hope no matter what, right? There's a hope for us who are in Christ. There's nothing that can overcome the one who belongs to Christ. J.R. Packer has this, I love this, it's just a short little quote. He says that the Christian 
has become unsinkable. The Christian has become unsinkable. The one who is in Christ cannot be thwarted. There is now also no condemnation for the one who is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1-2 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So now, friend, no one is in a position to condemn to condemn you. The only person who would be in that position is Christ Himself. And guess what? He clothes you in His righteousness. Right? He clothes you in righteousness. And so now you're made to be as, as Him. You are holy and blameless before God. There is now no one that stands in a position to condemn. And that's how the Father sees you. Another promise, another benefit is we'll have our needs supplied. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And perhaps now the most important benefit of them all, and the last one that we're going to cover here, is that we have redemption and forgiveness for all of our sin. We have redemption and forgiveness from all of our sin. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So friend, without this, none of the preceding benefits that we've discussed would even be a possibility for us. It would not be a possibility unless we had redemption and forgiveness in the blood of Christ. So, now that we've heard of all these benefits, there's also some expectations that come along with this, right? So, I want to talk about the expectations now that are on those who are in Christ. So, we are to become, as Christians, those who are in Christ, we are to become more like the one whom we are united to. We are to look more like Jesus in every way, in our holiness, in our obedience, in our faithfulness, in self-control. We are to be fruit-producing Christians, people that are working out our salvation, people that are producing fruit. And the only way that we can produce fruit is if we are united to the vine, who is Jesus. And probably one of the most famous passages in dealing with our union with Christ comes from John 15, verses 4 to 6. It says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So friend, we as people who are united with Christ ought to be a people who abide in the Savior, abide in Christ, bear fruit. Otherwise, we have to ask the question, right? We have to ask, are we really in Christ? And is Christ really in us? If we're not bearing fruit, if we're not becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like the Savior, being sanctified. That word sanctified, you've probably heard that. That just means 
becoming more holy, becoming more like Jesus? If we're not, we need to ask that question. Are we really in Christ? And is Christ really in us? So as we've recounted just a sliver of the benefits of being in Christ, I want to take a few moments now just looking at how this ought to play out uh, for some application purposes in our everyday lives. So how can we apply these truths into our life? So first, there's not really a better way I can think of. I know this is sometimes a cheesy phrase, but we need to remember who we are and we need to remember whose we are. In everyday life, we need to remember, friend, that you are, if you're in Christ, you are a child of the King. You are a victor in Christ. You're clothed in righteousness. We shall never be left in a position to say that our life is a disaster or that we are unloved or we have no worth because that's not how God thinks of you, right? If you're in Christ, that's not how God thinks of you. If you're in Christ, you are a treasured child of God. He is with you. He won't leave you. He's not forgotten you. And he loves you, and his love will rest on you. You cannot be dislodged from his grip. But we can't forget, too, that Satan is constantly on the prowl, and he's looking for someone to devour. He's looking to sow that seed of discouragement or spiritual amnesia to the believer in Christ, having them forget who they are. He wants us to forget that we have a Father who loves us, that we are united to Christ. He's trying to show us different things, trying to get us back into the old life to fall for the same old tricks. But 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. And we need to fight the attacks of the enemy with the Word of God just as Jesus did in his temptation in the wilderness. We need to fight the attacks of the enemy with the Word of God. Let the Word remind us who we are. That when we're reading through the New Testament, reading through our words, and we come across those words, in Christ, we need to stop for a second and say, okay, in Christ, that's talking about a believer, that's talking about me. What is this saying? We need to stop and meditate on those words. Let's never cease to remember these wonderful truths that we who are in Christ have all of these This whole world opened up to us that's not of our own account. That Christ has bought us with a price. He's loved us into salvation. He's given us a new name, a new heart, a new life, new redemption. Inheritance, a glorious inheritance that is coming for us, friends. And we have an eternal hope that's secure in Him. We have an eternal hope. We need to fight the attacks of the enemy with the Word of God, remembering that we are held by God, by the Holy Spirit, and by our union with Christ. For they allow us to live with such freedom and unshakable power when we remember that we are in Christ. Now, as I said earlier, part of this morning what I was hoping to accomplish was also to show the one who's not in Christ what they're missing out on. And hopefully this has been an exhaustive list and one that as uh, the Word of God has done its work here this morning. I'm hoping and praying that it has. Because the reality is that those who are not in Christ do not get to experience the benefits of being in Christ. There's a a wonderful quote from John Calvin. 
that talks about this. He says that so long as we are without Christ and separated from Him, nothing which He suffered and did for the salvation of the human race is of the least benefit to us. Nothing which He suffered and did for the salvation of the human race is of the least benefit to us. Friend, you must, as Calvin had said, become one with Him. The alternative means that there's no life, there's no peace, there's no redemption, no forgiveness, and quite frankly, there's no hope. There's no hope. So I appeal this morning to you to turn to Christ. There is no hope apart from Him. There is only condemnation. There is only separation. There is only darkness. And I appeal to you this morning to repent and believe in the Savior. We must confess our sins and trust in His justifying work on the cross and become one with Him. There's nothing more precious than our union with Christ. And the hope that we have in that, remembering that 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 is a reality for us, that we are unified with the Savior. And I'll close with some words from John Piper. He says that, Hearing God say to us personally, no condemnation, or hearing the words over our guilty heads, justified, there is nothing more precious. And if you cherish this verdict and this standing with God, then cherish your union with Christ. There is no greater treasure in all the world than being gloriously united to the Savior in every way. May we live in the power of that reality. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word, which tells us the truth. Lord, we thank you that our feelings are not the final verdict are not the final word for who we are, but that Your Word tells us, Lord, that we are Yours, that we cannot be separate from You, those who are in Christ, that You are in us and we are in You. And sometimes, Lord, we can be discouraged when we sin, thinking that, Lord, You are going to withdraw Your love from us. You're going to withdraw the salvation which we've been born into from us. But Lord, may we, like David, pray, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. As we turn from our wickedness, turn from our sin, remember that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That truly the old self has gone, has passed away, and the new has come. Lord, we want to live in the new. We want to live in this union with Christ, remembering that every day as we go about our lives that we are one with the God of the universe. That before time began, you had thought of us individually who are in Christ. And you desired that we would be in a saving relationship with Jesus. How can it be amazing grace 
that you would die for us, Lord. That you would be mindful of us. Lord, I pray for the church this morning. I pray for this this gathering of believers and maybe unbelievers this morning. Lord, we pray that we would be built up today by this word, by the word of truth, and that we'd be challenged to remember of our union with you, that we might turn to you, God, and live in that power, live in the power of our, our union, God, our being one with Christ. May it be so, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.